0: Let's open our Bibles to where Joshua was reading for us in uh, Luke chapter 23. What we're going to do this afternoon is have a New Testament teaching and then we're going to close with an Old Testament picture of the New Testament teaching. And we will go through the things that the Lord spoke um, while he was on the cross. He was on the cross from 9 o'clock in the morning till 6 o'clock, I mean till 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, he spoke seven different times. I think that's significant in that the number of seven is a number of completion. And um, these were his final words that we will be looking at. Um, on Wednesday, we were talking about Jesus knew this was his last week. And so he was giving his final messages. And sometimes final messages are some of the most important thing to that person that he wants the people to know. And what he talked a lot about was um, his second coming, um, the abomination of desolation, the tribulation period, that he would be coming again. And these were some of his last words. There's been people throughout history that have had their last words recorded. Karl Marx died on March 14th, 1883. His housekeeper came to him and said, tell me your last words and I'll write them down. And Marx replied, go on, get out. Last words are for fools who haven't said enough. Last words could also be very revealing. P.T. Barnum said as he was dying, What are today's receipts? In other words, how much money did we make today? Napoleon said, chief of the army. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said at his last words, Jesus died for me. And John Wesley, the founder of Methodist Church, said, the best of all is God is with us. Jesus was crucified, and we're going to put up on the screen right now. We're called Calvary Chapel for a reason. He was crucified on Calvary's cross, Calvary meaning Golgotha. And uh, I don't know if this is one that actually has a circle in it or not, but there you go, just like that, you say it and you get it. (laughs) You can see it's uh, unfortunately... The last time we were there, the bridge of the nose has been eroded. But clearly, when it talks about the place of the skull, this would be just outside the Damascus Gate, maybe 100 yards um, down down the street. Below is a bus station. And um, Jesus would not have been crucified on top of Calvary, but probably right alongside of the road. We're going to leave that up during the duration of our study this morning. (laughs) It's not this morning, but that's what I usually say when I'm up here. (laughs) The Lord was crucified at 9 a.m., and he was on the cross for six hours. The last three were in darkness. Um, I can't begin to try to put into words. I'll probably say this a couple times during the message, Um, the agony that he has already suffered in Gethsemane to the point where he wants it taken away, to the scourging, to the beating, Um, physically weak, as we'll read here, that somebody else had to carry the cross. And then um, probably uh, the worst for the Lord would have been the time when he was forsaken by his father, completely alone for the first time ever. And let that one sink in for the first time ever. And I'll get to that in a bit. During the six hours Jesus spoke, he spoke seven different times. This Good Friday, we will look at all seven, beginning with his first statement here in Luke. And we'll go back and um, look at it again. In uh, Luke chapter 23, verse 34 as they crucified him with um, uh, criminals, one on the right hand and one on the left, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do and they divided his garments and they cast lots. One of the things that we've grown accustomed to here is making a statement that we can't get to a chapter of the Bible without having Bible prophecy being fulfilled. And um, if I remember right, while the Lord was on the cross when he died, there are 33 Old Testament prophecies fulfilled during this period of time. So, Father, forgive them. We will again tie into an Old Testament prophecy and its fulfillment here. This fulfills Psalm 22. Psalm 22 describes more of the emotion and physical agony that our Lord went through more than the Gospels tell us. There's more description of, uh, of the physical um, torment and suffering that Jesus went through. But here he says, Father, forgive them. And uh, so here we have a prophecy fulfilled from Psalm 22, verse um One, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? and talking again in psalm twenty two about um, that being fulfilled, already weakened by the scourging, Pilate thought he was innocent, Pilate thought he could sway the crowd to lighten up, and um it was it was a custom in Rome to release somebody on the Passover. It was the Passover. So he thought through the scourging, maybe, just maybe, they would see how much suffering he had already gone through and they would release Jesus. But the Jewish leadership insisted, stirred up the crowd, and got them to cry out Barabbas, Barabbas. You and I are Barabbas. Barabbas went free, Jesus suffered, Barabbas was guilty. Jesus wasn't. And so if we can identify with anybody in the scriptures, it's really Barabbas. But he's already been weakened by the scourging of the 39 lashes. And we read in verse 26 of this chapter, as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, who has come from the country, and they laid the cross that he might bear it after him. Um, I don't think anybody's adequately ever been able to describe um, what a person looks like after 39 lashes with a Roman whip because they put pieces of metal and glass into what, look, what we would call a cat of nine tails. And uh, the way that they would execute, once they'd been condemned, not quite condemned yet, the soldiers would have their way with, with the Lord And if they were soliciting a confession out of you, what they would do is they would start off really easy with the whip. You would get your 40 lashes. You ever wonder why they say 40 lashes minus one? The reason for that is we were studying in men's prayer in Deuteronomy that a punishment you could give a man 40 lashes for. But that's the law. So they would take away one just in case somebody miscounted and give them 41 instead of the 40 because if you did the 41, now you've broken the law. So that's why it's 40 lashes minus one, just in case. Somebody might have miscounted. But as the scourging went on, if you didn't confess... To get you to confess, then the beating would become more severe and severe. Well, the Lord had nothing to confess. So he received the full brutality of the of the Roman soldiers with the scourging. So the reason for verse 26, where the Lord collapses under the weight of the cross, is he's simply exhausted. He'd been up all night. He was arrested up all night. And then the scourging, so he's physically pretty much already spent to the point where they um, get another Simon to uh, carry the cross to this place called Calvary. It would have been alongside of the road because crucifixion was meant to induce fear of if you do this, this could happen to you. There were two thieves and um, so it was a judgment but at the same time it was also a very strong warning. Beaten by the guards, that also fulfills if you're taking notes a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 52 verse 14. Not only was he uh, given the 39 stripes but they said they um, put a hood over him and the guards beat him with their fist. And Isaiah 52, verse 14 says, Just as many were astonished at you, so his vestige, or his face, was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So even as before we get to our first thing he said from the cross, just what led up to that, Gethsemane, the beatings, the scourging, Um, Charles Wesley wrote one of his hymns. Five bleeding wounds he bears, received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh forgive, they cry, nor let that ransom sinner die. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Imagine being um, those men uh, that someday come to the realization that they were the ones that, were the, that put um, themselves to crucify the Lord. What does the Lord say to them? Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing here. And that is one of the biggest understatements ever made. They had no idea the humanity, the significance of, of what was taking place here. The second thing uh, spoken by the Lord from the cross is also in this chapter, Luke 23. Let's pick it up, verse 39 through 43. Remember one criminal on the right, one on the left, and one of the criminals who were uh, hanged beside him saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuked him, saying, Don't you even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? We indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, this is the second thing said from the cross, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, this tells me that my salvation and your salvation can only be by God's grace and by God's grace alone. Why do you say that? This guy had nothing going for him. He was a criminal, he was a thief. Um, He had no good works, never been baptized, never said the sinner's prayer. The only thing he said was, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the Lord's response to that was, Today. Today you're going to be with me in paradise. Now, if you weren't here on Wednesday evening, um, we went into quite a bit of detail um, about paradise being Abraham's bosom. I like to refer to this as a deathbed conversion. And this is a story that I tell if I know a person isn't saved and he's about ready to check out. And um, he says, I've had people say to me, I'm not gonna be a hypocrite, not now. Not while well, I've lived my whole life not being a Christian. That would be hypocrisy. And I said, no one. And I tell him the story about the thief on the cross. He had nothing. And he had been Uh, nothing but a criminal, his own life. And yet, that was his sinner's prayer. The Lord didn't look at the words that he said. He looked at his heart. He believed. He said, look, we're guilty to the other guy, but not him. He's innocent. We're getting what we deserve, but he's an innocent man. He believed that Jesus was the Son of God. Oh, it doesn't say that, but the Lord knew that. Good place for an amen. (laughs) The Lord knew this man's heart, And he knew that he was asking to be remembered. To say, remember me when you enter your kingdom can only imply that he believed he was the Messiah. So he was saying, when you enter your kingdom, will you remember me and somehow make it right? And so the Lord says, today you're gonna be with me in paradise. If you weren't here on Wednesday, and I won't, I'll skim on it right here, but on Wednesday, we went to Matthew 27. We went to Ephesians 4, that before he ascended, he descended into the lower parts of the earth. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. We went to Luke chapter 16, we talked about the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man in hell, Lazarus, at a place called Abraham's bosom. And then in Matthew 27, verses 50 and 51 and 52, it says, after Jesus arose from the dead, the graves were opened up. And people came and walked around Jerusalem, appearing to many. Abraham's bosom is called paradise. And when the Lord says, today you're gonna be with me in paradise, he meant Abraham's bosom. He was on a short stay, (laughs) three days. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that these Old Testament saints died in faith, waiting for this event to take place because they could not go to heaven until um, Jesus' blood was shed. We read in Hebrews that the shedding of blood of goats and lambs, it's a set temporary sign of the real Lamb of God who is going to take the penalty for your sin. And when that happens, then... Abraham's bosom, paradise, no longer exists. Today, if a person dies and he's born again, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You don't go to Abraham's bosom. Another good place for an amen. We are changed and we immediately are at the presence of the Lord. With that being said, we're going to meet this man someday. He'll be a brother in the Lord. And... Um, um, The other one, unfortunately, you will not see. Let's turn to the Gospel of John chapter 19 for our third thing that Jesus said from the cross. John chapter 19, verse 25. We read, we'll read through verse 27. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. This is the Gospel of John. Whenever John refers to that disciple, he's referring to himself. And it makes me wonder about, you know, everybody has a personality. Everybody's personality is different. Peter's is different than John's, and and so on and so forth. But there was something about the character of John. He refers to himself as that disciple whom Jesus loved. And he was, of all of them that he could have picked, he picked John. So he says, woman, behold your son. And um, it could be referring to himself, but I personally think he's referring to John and it's because he says to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour the disciples uh, took her to his own home. Again, um, I can't put this in a word, so let's try to look at, Luke chapter 2, this is also a prophecy being fulfilled, but from a New Testament. Luke chapter 2, picking it up in verse 25. There was a guy named Simeon, and the Lord had spoke to him that he would not see death until he saw the Savior of Israel. So Jesus is being circumcised, which was the custom on the eighth day. He would have been going to the temple. And in verse 25, we read, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents, that would have been Joseph and Mary, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all the people, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles, by the way, that's another fulfilled prophecy from Isaiah 9, and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him, and then Simon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold... This child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. And then he says this to Mary. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be healed. As Mary was looking up at Jesus on the cross, a sword pierced through her soul, just like Simeon had said. She knew who he was, and now the time had come, and, you know, it's a mother being a mother, and um, this was foretold when Jesus was just eight days old, that this day would come. Now the day had come, and the Lord is turning uh, mom over to John, and John was to take Mary home, and he did, and stayed in his home. The fourth saying is in Matthew chapter 27. Let's turn there. Matthew 27, verse 45 through 49. Now it was the sixth hour until the night, so that would be from 12 noon until 3. It's U.S. time now, but it's a little before two. So it, there, there would have been darkness that came over the land at this time. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And again, we quoted this earlier, fulfillment of Psalm 22, verse one, verse for verse And in this darkness, um, he's forsaken. But I really spent more time thinking about this saying from the cross than any of the other ones. Because of the loneliness that the Lord must have experienced at this time, having never, ever experienced true loneliness. Men forsook him, but the Father was always with him. Jesus had said in John 8:29, and he that sent me is with me the father has not left me alone for I do always those things that please him in John 16:32, he said behold the hour cometh yea and now has come that you will be scattered every man to his own and shall leave me alone yet I'm not alone because the father's with me but at the cross the father left him the loneliness of the Savior on the cross. Why was he lonely? Why was he forsaken of the Father? This is what sin does. Sin will isolate. Sin will separate. And this was a moment in time. I know not how long it lasted for. But as I began to think about it, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have always been. They are eternal, and they have always been. My, I can't wrap my head around that. I can, you can tell me I'm going to live forever. Well, I can kind of gravitate towards that. Let's just keep going forward. But I can't go backwards. I can't wrap my head around always being. But the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have always been throughout eternity. Now there's no time in eternity and I personally believe it's multidimensional and a whole lot more when it says eyes haven't seen or ears heard neither has it entered into your heart the things that are going to be or Paul saw it he said I can't describe it I heard things I can't put into words but they've always been there's never been a moment that they haven't been one we call it the Trinity God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. One God, there's only one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. As a Christian, I have no problem with that. But if they read their Bible carefully in Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning God, it's not in the singular, it's in the plural. El is singular for God. Elohim is plural. So it actually says, in the beginning gods. But there is only one God. So, again, I can't wrap my head around one God in, in three persons. Not yet. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us someday we will know as we are known. Oh, I get it. Now I understand. But not until then. So for the first time, when Jesus um, cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This preacher can't put it into words the loneliness that must have existed at that time. All the disciples had left, and John was the only one there with his mother, and um, so he's expressing um, um, the loneliness and the depth of something that had never ever existed before, and might I say will never ever exist again. But it did happen one time in eternity, it happened on Passover, where the Father had to forsake the Son. And that's the right word there. He forsook him because God is holy and sin and light and darkness simply cannot coexist. So for that period of time, the Lord was on his own. And again, this preacher can't put it into words um, the agony, what he must have gone through with that. The fifth saying is in John chapter 19, so let's make our way back there. John chapter 19, picking it up in verse 28. Let's go back to John chapter 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, now just think about this, he realized the work has already been done that the scriptures might be fulfilled, huh? There it is again. And um, I'll come to that in Psalm twenty-two, verse fifteen. We'll be going back and taking a look at it in a second. He said, "I thirst." So the fifth thing the Lord says from the cross is, "I thirst." I'm going to have you turn back to Psalm twenty-two. And we'll start with verse 14. And again, the anguish of the suffering of, of uh, Jesus on Calvary is more descriptive in Psalm 22 than it is the Gospels. Verse 14, I am poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shred and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. Why did the Lord say he was thirsty? Because his tongue was stuck to his jaws because of the dryness. For dogs have surrounded me. The assembly of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. The Psalms were written right around 1000 BC, somewhere in there. And Roman crucifixion wasn't for another 700 years. So, this is a prophecy. And the piercing of the hands and the feet. I counted all my bones. They looked and they stared at me. And they divide my garments among them and my clothes as I cast lots. Like I said earlier, when you count them all up, there's 33 which to me is an interesting number. Seeing that Jesus was how old when he died? 33 years old. Three is the number of, of, again, the Trinity. And uh, we find it as one of those very familiar numbers in Scripture. Jesus knew, let's go back to John 19 at this time. Verse 28 He says he knew that all things were accomplished. In other words, the job has been completed, but he's got something yet to say, even though the job is done, but he can't. He can't because we read in Psalm 22 that his tongue is stuck on his jaw and he couldn't talk. That's what I get out of it. Now, there was a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So this is another Psalm, this is another prophecy fulfilled. This would be Psalm 69, verse 21. They also gave me gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. So Psalm 69 is being fulfilled at this moment. The next one is in John 19, in verse 30, right the very next verse. And so when Jesus had finished the sour wine, he said, it is finished. This was important for him to say, but he couldn't say it. Now he could, his tongue was loose. And so at this point, and this, uh, this part here, it is finished. We read in Philippians 2, eight, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And he said the word Telestai. Now, Telestai is a familiar word. The slaves used it. The priests used it. The artist used it, the merchants used it. To them it meant the debt is fully paid. If you had purchased something, the merchant would take your money and then he would give you a receipt. That receipt would say, to Telestai, It is finished. The debt has been fully paid. You and I, as sinners, are in debt before God and we cannot pay this debt. We have broken God's law and we are bankrupt. The wages of sin is death, but Jesus came, paid the debt for us. That is what to us die means. It was a familiar word. The servant had finished the work. The perfect sacrifice had been offered. The picture has been completed. The debt has been paid, complete and in full. And this final word was, um, I think, in one. One of it, the, the Gospels that says he actually shouted. And um, it was a, a cry of victory. To tell us, is finally over. The work has finally been done. The last thing that is spoken from the cross, we have to go back to Luke chapter 23. Picking it up in verse 46, we read verse 45 the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried with his loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands. I commend my spirit and having said this, he breathed his last. The other gospel says he dismissed his spirit. Jesus is the only one, this is from John 10 verse 17. He says, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down for myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it again. This commandment I received from my father. Jesus is the only one who ever lived that could have dismissed his spirit anytime he wanted to. He says, I have the power to lay down my life. I have the power to take it up again. And when he knew everything was done, and when he made the declar- declaration to tell us, it's finished, it's paid, it's over, the work is done, then he says, Father, I'm dismissing my spirit These people, matter of fact, Pilate was amazed that he was already dead. They broke the the legs of the two thieves because the Sabbath was um, coming and they had to have this taken care of before the sun set. It's already dark. That had to be pretty weird. It's three o'clock in the afternoon. So here, the Lord simply dismisses his spirit. He had the power to do so notice and uh, turn over to Matthew 27 there's another event here that takes place that we just read about the veil in the temple being rent Matthew 27 verse 51 the verse before it in verse 50 it says and Jesus when he had cried out there it is with a loud voice yielded up his spirit And when he did so, the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earthquake and the rocks were split. So the veil in the temple separated the Ark of the Covenant called the Holy Place from the, um, that was called the Holy of Holies from the Holy Place. There was only one item in there, the Ark of the Covenant, had the mercy seat upon it. And only a high priest could enter into it. That would be at Yom Kippur. And he would make atonement for the people. And uh, whenever you read about the garments uh, of the high priest, when we visit Israel, they have little bells on the bottom of, of the garment. And um, the reason, actually, for that is that the high priest himself had to go through a purification ritual to make sure he had confessed his own sin before he would dare go into the presence of God. And so, in case he did not, they would tie a rope around his foot, because just in case he did die in there, who's gonna go get him? <laughs> no, you drug him out. And there was a reason, if those bells stop, stopped uh, uh, ringing, uh, there were serious, serious problems. Now there was other duties that went on like John the Baptist's father they would rotate the Levites in shifts and taking care of the incense and um, putting oil in the lampstands and the showbread and all the other things that would have been in the other holy room and they would rotate the Levites would with this but only the high priest could enter into the holy of holies. What happened here? This curtain was 18 inches thick and it was torn from the top towards the bottom nobody had a scissors on the bottom and, and then pulled it apart that didn't happen but as, as soon as Jesus died on the cross and uh, cried out with that loud loud voice he yielded up his spirit well the door now has been opened and Um, because of that, we have the ability to actually enter into the very presence of a holy, living God. 1 Corinthians 3 says, don't you realize you're the temple of the the Holy Spirit and the temple of God? Um, For us Gentiles, it's not as dramatic. But if you would have been one of the priests serving in the other room and you saw that happen... You would have said, hasta the baby, it's over. It's done. I'm, I'm a dead man. There's no way. The, veil's the, sep- the veil of separation has been separated. I'm dead. And all of a sudden, he's standing there, still alive. What happened? Something happened. So that event um, where the veil was rent, now the door is open. The Lord Jesus Christ died for sinners. He died actually. He died confidently. He died willingly. He died victoriously. He did not die for his own sin because he had none. He died for the sins of the world. Someday you are going to die. Usually people die just the way they live, to be sure. God can work and people can be saved at the last minute, like the thief on the cross. I have led people on their deathbeds to Christ, But I don't take that chance. Don't gamble with eternity. You can die confidently with the assurance that you're going to the Father's house. You can die with the promise of God's word to give you grace and strength and comfort. You can die in the safest place in all the universe in the hands of God. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. They will never perish neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. What a wonderful thing it is to die with confidence and assurance, able to say, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. These are the seven things that Jesus said on Calvary's cross. It's what the scriptures teach us, but we have a picture of it being played out in the Old Testament. But before I take you to that, I want you to turn to John chapter three before I take you to Numbers 21. You're gonna to need to be in both places. So the gospel of John chapter three. Sometimes I call John chapter three the, um, the gospel with the three musts, M-U-S-T, Nicodemus was troubled. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He knew Jesus had something he did not, so he comes to him by nighttime. And he says, look, I know that nobody can do what you do unless God is with him. And Jesus didn't mess around with Nicodemus. He cut right to the quick. He was beaten around, taking a long way Nicodemus was to ask a question but the Lord takes a shortcut and he goes right to the heart of the matter and he says to him in verse eight most assuredly I say unto you unless one is born again he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven people say well why must you be born again and I say well because Jesus said you must be born again (laughs) it's that simple yeah but I'm really religious more religious than Nicodemus a good guy Rich man, a Pharisee, better than him. Here's the first must right here. You must be born again. You must have a personal relationship with Christ. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. If you're born of water, that means you were born, you came out of your mother's womb. But if you're born of the spirit, that could be something that only can come after you receive Jesus Nicodemus isn't getting it. It's not clicking. I'm an old man, how can I I be born again when I'm old? Do I go in my mother's womb and come out again? He says, no, Nick, it's sort of like this. It's sort of like the wind blowing through trees. You can see the effect that the wind has on the tree, but you can't see the wind. And so it is So everyone who's born of the Spirit. For those of you who have been born again, you know that the wind blew through you. But those around you never saw that. And oftentimes they'll say, I know you, you're not any different. But you know something happened. So as he's explaining this, he chooses to use an Old Testament example that Nicodemus as a Pharisee would fully understand and know this story. It brings us to verse 14. He's trying to understand what Jesus is saying. So he gives him an illustration. In verse 14 he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must, here's the second one, even so must the son of man be lifted up. Um, and he's telling Nicodemus this here. And he would have immediately known what he was talking about. So let's go back and, As we close this afternoon, we'll look at this. Turn to um, Numbers chapter 21. Numbers 21, let's pick it up in verse 4. The people are out of Egypt, they're murmuring, they're complaining and against Moses, so let's pick it up in verse four. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around to the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged along the way. Not any different than you and I. We have good days, we have bad days. We have days we're on top of the world, and our days we're very discouraged. It's part of being very human. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. They were complaining about the manna. So the Lord sent fiery serpents, that be snakes, among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. So now they're in repentant mode. For we have spoken against the Lord, against you. Pray to the Lord, Moses, that he will take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent. So now we have a symbol. And a serpent, uh, we have to go back to the garden, is a representative of Satan, also sin. And set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent. Now we're told what it is made out of. When you, in the scriptures, bronze is always um, a symbol of judgment. So what do we have here? A bronze serpent on a pole. We have a picture of literally sin being. Judged. That's literally what we're looking at here. Oh, you want to be forgiven, do you? Okay, this is what you do, Moses. You make a, a brass serpent, set it at a pole, and then you go tell the people that in, anyone who has been bitten, whenever he looks at the brown serpent, will live. Now, when I think of this, I try to put myself in the story, and I can just hear somebody having a snake bite, and they're dying, Okay? And Moses saying, okay, this is all you got to do. All you have to do is um, the Lord told Moses to make this serpent and put it on a pole, and all you have to do is look at it. And if you look at it, um, everything will be fine. So I fall in a sarcastic category usually. <laughs> and some have childlike faith. So my attitude might have been at that time, I'm dying here. And I, I need a miracle to take place and you want me to go look at this snake on a pole? And that's about the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And then there were others that were saying, look, if this were, if this were a stake, I am dying here. And if this is what God told Moses is the remedy for my sin, then that's what I'm gonna do. No, there was two groups of people. There were those who went by faith and looked at that serpent, because Moses said so. They lived. And the other ones just turned around and said, that's crazy, I'm going back to my tent. They died. So what does Jesus use as an illustration to explain what's happening today at what we call Good Friday, when Jesus died on the cross? Go back to John three. And we'll close with the scriptures that um, you're very, very familiar with. We all know John 316 16, 17. We all know those scriptures. But the ones right before it, as he's trying to identify with something that a Pharisee could identify with, he's not getting it. So he says, Nick, it's like this. When Moses lifted up the serpent, that's what's gonna happen to me. I'm gonna be lifted up I'm going to become sin, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might have the righteousness of Christ. And so what is the picture? The New Testament teaching we went through with the seven sayings from the cross and what he did and what he accomplished. And he said this is how it must happen. And then he goes on to say, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. I'm sure Nicodemus was saying, I'm sure there was two groups of people back there. Those who believed and weren't condemned and they they actually lived and then there were those who did not. And really there's only two categories of people as far as God's concerned in this world. There's lost sinners who've been bitten by the snake And they're saved sinners that's been redeemed because the judgment that took place was actually placed upon the Lord himself. They're making a big deal out of this thing at Notre Dame and the burning of, um, of the church. And the relics that they say they have in there, I always chuckle because I can always go to the old city and I can buy a piece of the cross anytime I want to. They've been been selling them for hundreds of years. But they also claim, don't worry about a thing, we found the thorns that Jesus wore. Well, I can buy those in the old city too. And a lot of the tourists are gullible, especially the first-timers. But I just want you to think for a second about about the crown of thorns. It's also a picture. When man sinned, the curse on man was that he'd have to work Did you realize there was no thorns or thistles before the fall? Thorns and thistles only came after the fall. But before there, there was no thorns and thistles. So when God was judging sin, they actually put the crown of thorns on him. That's also a picture. Sin being placed upon Jesus at the cross. And there's pictures just all over that that um, it's so important to tie the two together, the old with the new. You know what that does? It increases your faith. That Bible prophecy is accurate and you can trust it. And on, on this Good Friday, um, we once again remember um, the greatest day besides the resurrection, which we'll be talking about on, on Sunday that ever happened. And my plea to you would be if you've never, ever accepted the Lord. It's getting late. I don't know if we're going to be here next year. I hope not. I hope that doesn't disappoint anybody. <laughs> well, I'm with Paul. Paul said, I'm I'm fixed. I'm torn apart here. I don't know. I'd rather be with the Lord, which is far better. But it's more needful that I be here right now so that he could teach and go around and share the gospel with others. But if he had his first choice, he'd say, let's get out of here. Let's go home. To be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So, Mary was telling me that um, just yesterday, she said, I can't believe it. We're putting on our 43rd conference. And I thought to myself, has it been that many years? That's two of them, not just pastors' conferences, but prophecy conferences, too. And they sort of just seem to blend together after a period of time in doing it for so long. And um, But I know there's gonna come one when it's gonna be the last one. This could be your last Good Friday. And if you're not born again, please don't leave this building without knowing for sure that your salvation is secure. How easy, it, easy is it? It's as easy as believing with all your heart the gospel in John 16. That he really does love you. And um, he sent his son into the world so that you wouldn't have to perish. So that when you die, you will die with confidence knowing that you're gonna have a new body and um, that has no more pain, no more sorrow, and no more death, all because of Calvary. Amen? Amen. they actually put the crown of thorns on him. That's also a picture. Sin being placed upon Jesus at the cross. And there's pictures just all over that that, um, it's so important to tie the two together, the old with the new. You know what that does? It increases your faith. That Bible prophecy is accurate, and you can trust it. And on, on this Good Friday, Um, we once again remember um, the greatest day besides the resurrection, which we'll be talking about on on Sunday that ever happened. And my plea to you would be if you've never, ever accepted the Lord. It's getting late. I don't know if we're gonna be here next year. I hope not. (laughs) I hope that doesn't disappoint anybody. (laughs) Well, I'm with Paul Paul said, I'm I'm fixed. I'm torn apart here. I don't know. I'd rather be with the Lord, which is far better. But it's more needful that I be here right now so that he could teach and go around and share the gospel with others. But if he had his first choice, he'd say, Let's get out of here. Let's go home. To be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So, Mary was telling me that. just yesterday. She said, I can't believe it. We're putting on our 43rd conference. And I thought to myself, has it been that many years? That's two of them, not just pastors' conferences, but prophecy conferences too. And they sort of just seemed to blend together after a period of time and doing it for so long. And, um, but I know there's going to come one when it's going to be the last one. This could be your last Good Friday. And if you're not born again, please don't leave this building without knowing for sure that your salvation is secure. How easy is it? It's as easy as believing with all your heart the gospel in John 16. That he really does love you. And um, he sent his son into the world so that you wouldn't have to perish. So that when you die, you will die with confidence knowing that you're gonna have a new body and um, that has no more pain, no more sorrow, and no more death, all because of Calvary. Amen?